Let's pray as we dive into the doctrine of the church. Dear Father, I thank you. I praise you for saving us out of our sin and rebellion against you, of calling us to ourself, to yourself, for calling us beautiful and blameless through your Son, Jesus Christ, and for giving us one another as we run this race together, as we strive together, and as we share the good news with the nations together. I thank you for the gift of your church, and I pray that you help us understand it better tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we believe about the church. What is the church? What constitutes the church is a big idea. First, let us work through the doctrine statement, and then we will break it down. If you've been with us throughout this series, you'll notice several different things. One, we've addressed the object of our faith. Who is God? What has He done in time and space? The object of our faith. But then we've also talked about the application of this work of redemption. So who is God? God is triune. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who are the persons of the Godhead? What has God done? He has saved sinners through Christ. And we've talked about how this is applied to us. That we have been given new birth, that we've been justified, and that we are currently, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we're being sanctified. But today, we get to talk about the corporate application of God's work in redemption. We've talked about the personal application, what this means for you as an individual, but tonight we're going to talk about what does this mean for us and other Christians, and how this should and will impact our lives. Well, let's first work through our doctrine statement together. We believe that a church of Christ is a congregation of immersed believers associated by a covenant of faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the ordinances of Christ, governed by His laws, in exercising the gifts rights, and privileges invested in them by His Word. That its scripturally designated officers or pastors, with in parentheses elders, and deacons, whose qualifications, claims, and duties are clearly defined in the Scriptures. We believe that the true mission of the church is found in the Great Commission. First, to make individual disciples, second, to baptize them, third, to teach and instruct as he is commanded. We do not believe in a reversal of this order. We hold that the local church <clears throat> we hold that the local church is, has the absolute right of self-government, free of inter- interference of any hierarchy of individuals or organizations, and that the only superintendent is Christ through the Holy Spirit. That it's scriptural for true church to cooperate with each other in contending for the faith and the furtherance of the gospel. 
that every church is the sole and only judge of the measure and method of its cooperation. On all matters of membership, of policy, of government, of discipline, of benevolence, the will of the local church is final. You'll notice that we had to spread it across three slides. And so uh, the church in our uh, doctrine statement is a lengthy portion. And we hope to cover that uh, the best that we can uh, tonight. So first, let's do this by answering a question. What we're going to do by way of format tonight is we're going to answer four questions for, about the church. Four questions about the church that I hope as we answer them will give us all a clearer and better understanding of the church, its beauty, and our place within it. So the first question is necessary. What is the church? What is the church, the Greek words for church in the New Testament, are two. One implies those who are possessed or owned by the Lord. And the other, ecclesia, very common, means called out ones. It can generally be referred to as just simply as an assembly. should note, as it's said even in the video, the church is not a building, it's not a place, it's a people. And yet, this assembling of this people make up a church. And even more than that is the gathering of these people under biblical leadership to worship God in a way that He has ordained in His Word. So first to answer this question, what is the church? You can see that by the very definition, the church is made up of those who have been called out of sin and darkness and who are now in Christ. But to answer this more fully, we're going to look at two distinctions for what this might mean. Secondly, we will look at the traditional marks of a church and how that will give us a sense of how we can truly worship and be a true church. First, let's begin with the distinctions. The distinctions. The first distinction is between the invisible church and the visible church. The invisible church and the visible church. Simply because we are meeting here today, we are identifying or self-identifying or associating with a local congregation of believers that does not necessarily imply that we are part of the invisible church. The New Testament is clear that not everyone who plays lip service to the church is part of the church. Or we might say, not everyone who goes to church is a genuine Christian. In the same way, everyone who is a part of the visible church Not everyone who is a part of the visible church is a part of the invisible church. The invisible church being all those who have been given new life, who have been justified, and are being sanctified. Or, to put simply, those who are truly saved. The church always has had hypocrites, and it always will have hypocrites. Jesus warned against this in Matthew 7, 21-23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons out in your name 
and do many works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In the same way, there's some who are part of the invisible church, but they might not be part of the visible church. Praise the Lord for those who hear the gospel over the radio and they have no way to get to a church, to get to a gathering of God's people, a visible gathering because of life circumstances. But they've truly been born again. So you could say the invisible church is all those who have been rescued by God through His grace. Or we could say these are the elect ones, the predestined ones. And the visible church is those who gather. Some might have some objections perhaps. You might think, how can we call the visible church the church when it might not be part of the invisible church? How can we call a gathering of believers true church if they might not be a church? They might not truly be saved. Well, that's a good question. There are many churches, many denominations even, who've gone apostate. Churches that were once true biblical church, but now, to borrow imagery from the book of Revelation, have had their lampstands removed. These churches may have the name, whatever church on the outside of their building, but they are not true gathering of God's people. On the other hand, you have churches that are mixed with hypocrites. First Baptist is a church that's mixed with hypocrites. There are some who come here week in and week out that do not belong to God. And God will sort them out in the end. So you might say, well, how can we call our church, how can any church name the name of church or say, call themselves a church or a gathering of God's people when we know in their midst there's some who are just faking it, who are just going through the motions? Well, Dutch theologian Herman Bevink is helpful here. He says, God calls it for its essential property. Because there are believers there, we can definitely call it a church because, because it's the essential properties is the, the most glorious thing of all. And so, even though there's those that don't profess the name of Christ, we can still call it a church because that's what God sees it as. An application from this first distinction that we should pause and personally consider the words of Paul to the Corinthians. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Though we gather visibly, are we part of the invisible church? The essential element of what makes a church a church. The second distinction that we need to make 
is the distinction between the universal and the local church. John MacArthur defines the universal church as all true believers throughout church history, both those alive today and those already in heaven. These are the ones that make up the universal church. These are the members of, as Hebrews 12, verse 23 says, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. New Testament doesn't stop there, though, and calls for all who are part of the universal church to meet together in local assemblies. So who is the universal church? Every believer on the face of the planet. But... The Bible also calls us to meet together. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect to meet together. Stir one another up in love and good works. The local church is designed to help feed the sheep. It's the charge Jesus gave to Peter through feeding the Word of God. Look in your biblical proofs, Acts 2, verses 41 and 42. Those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to sit under the teaching of the apostles, to meet together, and to break bread. Help feed the sheep, leading them in corporate praise and singing. Ephesians 5, 18-20, Hebrews 13, verse 15 protecting them under the shepherding oversight of godly leaders. Acts 20, verse 28. Hebrews 13, verse 7, and verse 17. 1 Peter 5, 1-4. And providing them with opportunities to serve one another. 1 Peter 4, 10-11. Again, this is talked about in our doctrine statement. We believe that the Church of Christ is a congregation of immersed believers associated by a covenant of faith and the fellowship of the Gospel, observing the ordinances of Christ. And look at D. Exercises the gifts, rights, and privilege invested in them by His Word. Building one another up. Exercising our gifts together. What more, the New Testament clearly implies that all members of the universal church should be members of a local church. To step on toes, perhaps, I would go so far as to say that a lack of membership to the local church is often an indicator of lack of membership to the universal church. Or, to put it in a positive sense, your membership in a local church gives credibility to your membership in the universal church. Don't misunderstand me. Being a believer of a member of a church doesn't save you, but... We are never meant to do this alone. We are called to assemble together. Being a member of a local church is like the rest of the church looking at us and saying, yup, your fruit matches up. You are a good tree. We can vouch for this person. 
you're hesitant to be a member of this church because of deep biblical convictions that you disagree with us on, find another church and commit. If you're not a Christian yet, we hope that you come to Christ and become a member. But if you don't want to get up in front of people, you don't want to commit, I fear there's a lack of understanding of the significance and the biblical importance of being part of a local church. Many churches press this maybe further than what I do or would, and they fence the communion table by saying that if you're not a member of a local church, you can't partake in communion because they see it as an act of disobedience and unwillingness to submit to Christ's lordship by submitting to a local church. The local church is the universal church made visible. To say I'm a part of, I'm a Christian, I just don't want to gather with God's people would be somebody saying to me, Nick, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. Get her away from me. We can meet together separately, but I never want to see your wife. That's not happening. We're not in good terms then. If people say, I can't meet with God's people because they're a bunch of hypocrites, join us as another one. This is not a place to put on display how holy we are against other people. This is a place where we come thirsty and hungry recognizing we need something outside of ourselves. If the church was made up of a bunch of Nick Boonstras, that would be a messed up church. But praise the Lord that it's not and you can point out my flaws. I can see you living in holiness and it can challenge me. Teenagers, as they're hungry and thirsting for the Lord, it challenges me. It encourages me. If it was all a reflection of myself, that would be depressing. We need each other. And God loves us too much. He, 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 the plan was never just you. It was, it was us together. So we have these distinctions between invisible and visible church. We need to emphasize the essential element of those who are called to Christ, those who believe or what constitute the church. But yes, these people gather to worship. But then we might ask, well, what are the marks of a local church? What, what is it that gives a local church flavor? In other words, if we are simply a bunch of people who have been saved and, 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 and rescued by God, can we meet together and play tic-tac-toe and call it biblical fellowship. Call it a church gathering. Well, the Reformation was breaking off from the Roman Catholicism. They said, well, how do you know that what a church is a church if you're not part of 
this. They came up with marks, distinguishing marks of a local church, and they've stood the test of time, and I think our doctrinal statement hints at them as well. And so we have the marks of a local church. The first is the pure preaching of the Word. The pure preaching of the Word. Preaching of justification by faith alone. That we can't gather together and not hear a word from God and call it church. Call it corporate worship. Do we understand what's happening with preaching? It's not just me getting up here liking to talk to people. Every word that I say that lines up with the Word of God is as if God Himself were speaking to you. I don't say that to promote myself or think highly of myself. I say that to take the task seriously. Because every word that does not line up with the Word of God, I will be held accountable on the Day of Judgment. Hebrews 13. It does not mean that I'm Jesus, but it is how God feeds His flock through imperfect, messed up people as they deliver the pure gospel message that Jesus rescues sinners. This is the means that He has ordained. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the Word of Christ. How are they to hear without a preacher? How are the preachers to go unless they're sent? Romans 10. Pure preaching of the Word of God. It's not somebody coming up, giving their opinions, but it's preaching the Gospel. Preaching the unadulterated Word of God. My job isn't to make you happy. It's to get myself out of the way so that you see the beauty of God's Word. Second, the true administration of the ordinances. The true administration or the true, yeah, the true administration of the ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We come together. We partake of the Lord's Supper together. We come together and we baptize those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Of course, these are universal marks. So even those that would disagree on baptism, they would hold to these marks. Just to disagree on the true part, perhaps. The third mark would be church discipline. Church discipline. Caring so much about someone's soul that we can't continue to give them assurance of salvation when they're living in an unrepentant sin. Repent and come back. We're here with open arms. We, we don't want you veering off. But we can't keep saying, yes, you belong to us. Yes, you are part of this universal church when you are in open rebellion against the God who created you. We can't turn a blind eye on sin as the church at Corinth did. But we must strive for purity. Mark of a Baptist church in particular. Praise the Lord that we are, by God's grace, striving weekly to display these marks. As Pastor Nate comes and opens up the Word of God and preaches it to us. As the Holy Spirit accompanies that Word and presses it into hearts. 
as we baptize those who've placed their faith in Christ, and as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, understanding what Christ has done for us. Look what our statement says, we're associated with the covenant of faith, with the fellowship of the gospel, the pure preaching. We, we, we understand the gospel message, the ordinances of Christ. We're governed by His laws. E, that is scripturally designated officers are pastors, elders, and deacons. I promise the first question will be the longest question as we continue on marching what the church is. Second, how is the church organized? How is the church organized? Well, there's two offices that are laid out in our doctrine statement. Those are the offices of pastor, elder, and deacon. Pastor, elder, and deacon. I put a slash there. Our doctrine statement puts a parenthesis of elders. But this is a Baptist distinctive that the church has two offices. And our doctrine statement is simply outlining this office. So what does it mean? Well, we might look at other churches and think that some of them have elders and deacons and that we're different because we have pastors and deacons. But I think that would be a false distinction according to our doctrine statement. We will not agree with those who hold to three offices. Some Presbyterian churches hold to teaching elders and ruling elders and deacons. That would be an example of the three offices. But some churches, churches even right around here, a church like Whitneyville Bible Church, and even some within our association have paid elders, they have lay elders functioning in one office, and in addition to this, they have deacons. I think we need to be slow to think there's a major difference between our view and theirs. I say this because it's important to understand those who hold different views than us, but it's also understand that we understand these terms correctly and don't pit somebody against us that we're actually the same leadership structure. It's just fleshed out a little bit different. So of these two offices, we can define and draw out the distinctions a little bit more. Our statement gives uh, passages for each of these, but it's important to notice some of the differences and similarities. We say the pastor and the elder is an overseer, person who is leading. There's a distinction in the qualification for ability to teach. We'd say they're the spiritual overseers, although it doesn't extend, it does extend beyond perhaps the spiritual. It's certainly not less than. We guide the church by preaching and providing the truth. So even as there's an oversight, it's an oversight under the authority of Scripture, not above. We call the shepherd to love the sheep while also recognizing elders, pastors, or sheep themselves. Deacon, we see deacons implemented in Acts, and the apostles need to focus on teaching and prayer as they delegate certain care responsibility to chosen men. The office comes with a bunch of moral qualifications. It's a high task. It's viewed highly. 
These men should be prayed for regularly as they seek to guide, to lead, and to care for those who God has placed in their care. Hopefully you're encouraged by the deacon ministry here at First Baptist. Third question and ask yourself is, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? Let's look at our doctrinal statement. We believe that the true mission of the church is found in the Great Commission. First, to make individual disciples. Second, to baptize them. Third, to teach and instruct as he has commanded. We do not believe in a reversal of this order. This, of course, and you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28. Or you can look at uh, your <clears throat> cheat sheet there. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, <clears throat> baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is the mission of the church? First we have the Great Commission. I like how our, our doctrine statement says this. It says, First, to make disciples. Second, to baptize them. Third, to teach and instruct. Not in a reversal of disorder. Let's clarify this a bit. We don't mean that we're not going to have children's programs or teach any kids until they are baptized. It could read like that, perhaps, in our doctrine statement. It says, first, to make disciples, then to baptize, then to teach and instruct them. And we don't believe in a reversal. So we're not being inconsistent with our doctrine statement by teaching kids the good news of Jesus. Even as some are, are, are not baptized. What is emphasizing by saying we do not believe in a reversal of this order really is the Baptist distinctive, distinctive of you are baptized after you trust in Jesus. You're baptized after you trust in Jesus. And so that's what we're trying to emphasize there, that somebody trust in Jesus as their Savior, they're baptized, and we're trained them in the things of God. And so that's why that's included. And there is a part even of our kids that we're evangelizing them as well as they don't come to know Christ. And so we should be sharing the gospel constantly and consistently with the precious children. We'll jump down to section 8 of our article of faith. It is scriptural for the true church to cooperate with each other for contending for the faith and the furtherance of the gospel. That every church is sole and only judge of the measure and method of its cooperation. So we could say <clears throat> the Great Commission were to make disciples, were to baptize, were to teach and instruct, and then we're also called to cooperate uh, with other churches, so long as the local church permits or says this would be a good and profitable cooperation. This VBS that's coming up, we're cooperating with Whitneyville Bible Church on staging and things like that so that we can share the gospel with children. And so there's a gospel cooperation. And this can be a good and profitable thing. Of course it can be pushed too far or too wide. We need to be careful and discerning. But at the same time, we should be zealous to partner together to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, we have to be careful of being 
isolated and insulated. When we start to define the true church as First Baptist Church instead of the universal or invisible church, we get in trouble. If we're praying for revival, if we're praying for people to get saved, and they get saved at a church that's preaching the gospel down the street, we need to pump our fists. We need to be excited. We need to be praying for them. Praise the Lord that sinners are coming to know Jesus as their Savior. Yes, we disagree with certain things. Yes, we have different distinctives. But remember what we talked about. Certain things are more important. Certain things are more central than others. If sinners are falling in their faces, they're coming to understand that Jesus is Savior and I'm a sinner and I need Him. Praise the Lord! Whether that happens at First Baptist, whether it happens at Peace Reform, whether that happens at Whitneyville Bible, praise the Lord if the Gospel is being preached and sinners are coming to Jesus. Now, does that mean that we believe in the same thing as baptism in the church up the street? No, we think they're wrong and they think we're wrong. We, I wouldn't worship together because of some of those distinctives. It would be awkward at certain times. But we can celebrate what God's doing calling sinners to Himself. We can celebrate the Gospel going out. A simple way that we could cooperate is simply by prayer. Are we praying not only for First Baptist Church and reaching sinners, but are we preaching, praying for other churches who are preaching the Gospel? Are we praying for other pastors who are preaching the gospel. So what is the mission of the church? The Great Commission to see sinners saved as we go out. Yes, we're gathered here. Yes, we're instructed. Yes, we're challenged. But the church is also dispersed. The church gathers together right now. But the church is dispersed throughout the week as we go and we evangelize, and we share the gospel. And hopefully this time is you in being encouraged, you being challenged, you being strengthened, and you going out and sharing the good news with your co-workers, sharing the good news with your neighbors. Inviting them to taste and see that the Lord is good. The last question we must ask, according to our doctrinal statement, we spend a good time, deal of time on this in our doctrinal statement, is this. What to whom or what is FBC accountable? Look at uh, G. We hold that the local church has the absolute right of self-government, free from interference of any hierarchy of individuals or organizations, and that the one only superintendent is Christ through the Holy Spirit. We can jump down to I. <clears throat> On all members of membership, of policy, of government, of discipline, of benevolence, the will of the local church is final. The will of the local church is final. So what does this mean? What are we talking about here? Well, first, is the Baptist distinctive of the autonomy of the local church. Or that there's no hierarchy or organization above us dictating what we should or must say, what we should or must operate. This would be different from denominations that have 
kind of higher-ups. Presbyteries, perhaps. The Presbyterian form of church government. Or, maybe most notably, in Roman Catholicism, when you have higher-up, higher-up, higher-up pope, right? And you have layers of authority. You say the local church itself has authority. The local church itself cannot be dictated outside by anybody else. So we have to ask the question, well, how can a church self-govern and not turn into complete chaos? In what way is the local church have the final say? Well, we see this in our doctrinal statement that I think is very important in section C. We're governed by His laws. This is not us making things up. This is not us as a local church saying, oh, this sounds good, I think we should do it. But the local church is given authority because they sit under the authority of the ultimate. We're saying there's no bridge between. We direct in God because we ourselves are given the Word of God. And Christ is the great high priest. Christ alone is mediator. Christ, by His Spirit, directs His people. And so we can have confidence because of Him, not because of us. Whose church is this? It's not my church. It's not Pastor Nate's church. Christ ultimately is the pastor and shepherd of this church. We're governed by His laws. We are directed by His Word. He has given His church authority to make decisions, and the Holy Spirit guides and directs the people in each local church. We do not believe in bishops. We do not believe in popes. We believe in the offices of pastor, elder, and deacon. Pastor slash elder and deacon. Under the authority of Christ alone. Church leaders bow their knee to Him alone and are accountable to Him alone for every decision. The dangers of the system of leadership are often offset by our congregational polity. We vote on major decisions. If a pastor is heretical in doctrine or simply power-hungry, there's systems in place that counter it. We have deacons to balance power-hungriness, and you elect them, and that matters. Are they godly men? The church has not only the right, but the responsibility to weigh what is said against Scripture. And since this can be broad and to guard against, this is my preferred interpretation over the pastors, we have things like this, doctrine statement, that we're working through now. If I say something that is directly contrary to what this document is teaching, you can hold it to me. You can call me on it. If I'm unwilling to hear you on it, you can tell a deacon. We should take these matters seriously. One of the benefits of working through a series like this on Sunday nights is you are equipped to call me out. You are equipped. 
to understand what the church teaches so that you know. Now, understand, we don't, we don't come looking to point out flaws. But, at the same time, we do need to be Bereans. We do need to be checking things against Scripture. That's what each and every one of us is called to do. Another Baptist distinctive, the priesthood of all believers. What is the church? The church is those who have been saved by the grace of God. They make up the universal church. They make up the invisible church. But God of his special care and love instructs us to gather together so that we can hear the word of God. Some of us, as we're reading the Bible throughout the week, we can be dangerously uh, one-sided as far as uh, not seeing certain things that apply to us directly in the face. And we can kind of gloss over them and, and say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. So God has given us one another, even pastors during the week who say, no, that does apply to you. Here is how this applies. He's given us the Lord's Supper. We can come together and say, we are united in what Jesus did for us. He's given us baptism to say, you've been washed clean by the, by the blood of Christ. You've been raised to new life. The church is the gospel made visible. Let's people know what God has done. A bunch of wrecked sinners gathering together to worship a God they're completely dependent upon. Do we come to church to punch a card? Do we come to gather together? I'm, I'm not afraid some people say uh, about uh, using the term church as far as building, and I, and I get it's not a building, but we, get, we can draw some two lines. We have to be careful of being crazy critical there. Do, do we come to gather together simply to punch a card, simply to say, hey, I've done it. Or do we understand our condition? Do we understand our fallenness? Do we understand, I need to go to church because I need to hear a word from God. I know that uh, my pastors are sinners too, but I know that they're bringing me the word of God and that's what I really need. I, I, I need to come together and I know that there's other people there and they're struggling and they're, they're sinners like me, but I, I need to come and be encouraged by them. I need them. I need to come because I need it. I need it as I go out this week. I need it because I know tomorrow is going to be hard. I know I need it because this week has been exhausting. People at work are, 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 are beating me up. I'm trying to be faithful, but it's hard. It's hard not to be bitter. I need it because my, my family, and I'm just, my anger's gotten to me this week, and I, I know I'm a sinner, and I need God's grace, and I and also need to be rebuked because I'm, I'm pretending like this isn't an issue. Ultimately, I need it. 
because my Savior died for me. And this week I'm going to be reminded of that. This week I'm going to be reminded that God loves sinners. This week I'm going to be reminded that though I am a mess up, though I rebel against Him, He purchased it all for me. It's not dependent on my life, but Jesus lived for me. I hope that you're encouraged every week. I hope that you're challenged. And I challenge you to come hungry and come ready to encourage one another. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I I thank you for your word. We are called to go and make disciples, to baptize them. And we are called to instruct and teach. Thank you for giving us opportunities for this to take place formally. And God, I pray that it's taking place in every nook and cranny, wherever your church goes as we depart from here tonight. Thank you for loving your bride. Thank you for taking care of it. You're a good God. You're so good to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.